encourage you to take them and turn with me to that text that was just read. Matthew chapter 28 as we kind of begin there in our launch out into the Word of God that we have to study this morning. I want to welcome every single one of you to, uh, to Big Woods Bible Church. Some of you I met, it's your very first time and a special welcome to you. I am so delighted that you are here. Just, just to think for a moment, um, we, we get to sing together, we get to listen to the Word of God together, celebrate the Lord's table together, and then go outside, eat food, and then have a hundred foot slip and slide. This is living large, okay? Doesn't get any better this side of glory as far as what we get to enjoy as a local church today. Make sure that you don't race out afterwards, but join us for a time. Um, congratulations, and I know that I run the risk of forgetting little ones with this, so please forgive me, but I know that last week Katrina looked like she was just about to burst, and she did this week, and little baby Freya. I don't know if I've ever met a Freya in my entire life before, so congratulations. We also want to be praying for the Bob family, as I believe Clayton and Kayla are on baby watch as well this week. So praise God for that. Praise God for a growing church. Would you bow your heads and pray with me before we dive into the scriptures this morning? Father, we love you. We are amazed at your love for us. We thank you for sustaining us through another evening last night, for waking us up, for your mercies that are new today. Lord, I think of people that are here today from one spectrum of life, the, the celebration, the arrival of a little one, to the other spectrum, to those that are suffering and aching and hurting. And Father, every one of us are drawn together by the name and through the work of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you minister to us, that you meet us where we are at. You comfort us. Father, that you open our eyes, even in the midst of hardship and heartache, to see you with arms outstretched. We thank you, Lord, for your willingness to forgive us and to adopt us into your own family as your own children, to declare us righteous and justified through the work of jesus father we thank you that we have this time now to learn and i would ask that the focus would be on you and your word that you would receive the glory please help me guide my my words my mouth so that everything that is said and done would be for your glory speak now and may your children hear from you we ask this in the name of our matchless and amazing Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. As we are, and it seems odd, we are very quickly racing. We near the end of the summer. We are also nearing the end of this series that we have been in for the entire summer season. What I call Church 101, why we do what we do. And Lord willing, my, my, my prayer has been is that you have seen an intentional theme that has been kind of woven through our time together as we learn about the local church of Jesus Christ. And there's a central theme of, 
of one anotherness, of togetherness, people, relationships, how we're serving together, listening together, learning and singing and worshiping and growing. So we understand that our purpose in glorifying God, and I hope you've understood this, and now today we see it closer than ever, ever before, is not just talking to people, not just talking to people, but walking alongside of people of showing others how they can have a personal relationship with the lord jesus christ and there's a word for it in our church circles the word is as was just mentioned earlier by pastor robbie is discipleship the word discipleship is defined as the condition or situation of being a disciple a follower or a student of some philosophy, especially, uh, this is in a secular dictionary, especially a follower of Christ. So what happened 2,000 years ago? Jesus walked up to a handful of people, and he said, follow me. And they had what? Just like you and I, they had jobs and families and responsibilities. They had homes and, and kind of habits as families, idiosyncrasies. They had hobbies. And I think it was impossible. I know it was impossible for them to completely understand what Jesus was calling them to do. As he said, follow me. But they obeyed. It says that they dropped their nets. They left their nets and Followed. They literally began to follow him. So as he walked a particular direction, they literally walked behind him. They listened to him over three years. They listened to him teach and preach. They listened to how he prayed, and they watched him as he touched people and healed them from sickness and illness and disease. They saw with their own eyes. They witnessed firsthand his compassion for people and his care and his passion and his powers. He walked on water. And what happened is they began to love people like Jesus loved people. And they began to build relationships and pursue holiness. They began to talk like he talked. To, to tell the truth to other people just like jesus had told the truth to them and they were they were they were close by right there when he was arrested and accused and beaten and they they knew firsthand of his suffering and of his death and they got word after he rose from the dead, they were the first ones, some of the first ones to race, to run into the tomb. They were the first ones to see him alive, and they talked to him. So they lived life. They, they wept together. They laughed together. They ate food together. I'm guessing that they joked with one another. And you have to realize that the very last thing that Jesus said to them before he ascended, it's recorded in Matthew's gospel, are these words from chapter 28. Here's our, our mandate, our marching orders of sorts. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe all things 
that I have commanded. And I will be with you always. Luke, who was not an eyewitness to Jesus, he records, in a sense, firsthand knowledge as far as what those who have seen him said what in Acts chapter 1. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will speak of me. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And you do realize that is exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit did come. The Holy Spirit did empower them to amazing ministry. And a few short years, a short period of time, they were standing before the most influential rulers of their day. And they were accused, as it says in Acts chapter 17, you people have turned the world upside down. It has never been the same since. You realize that our responsibility at some level, as we are what flooded with the news of this world, our responsibility remains the same to turn the world upside down with the message, the good news of the gospel. Making disciples understand is what we do, is what followers of Christ do. We are, we are known for this. This is normal for us. This is to be natural for us. That's why we exist. I keep one of these. I'm, I'm not a big prop guy. So, so because of the slip and slide, I just thought I'd go with a prop. It has nothing to do with it. You know, do you know what one of these are? And because I knew that you probably wouldn't be able to see it, I actually have a close-up for you. Okay, this is the exact one. So, so what is this? I keep one of these in, my, in, my, in the glove compartment of my Jeep just in case I break down. I got something to fix it with, right? That's what I use it for. No. My, my wife, Wendy, keeps one of these in her little makeup um, place to comb her hair with, right? Unless you're Ariel from The Little Mermaid, you're like, no, that's not what it's used for. Well, we understand that, that this is a fork, and it's basically designed, it has a purpose to do really one thing. And we are well acquainted with one of these things here. Now, now, you could use it for other things, and we've tried to do that before, where you use something that it's not really designed or intended for, and it's a complete disaster. I was camping, like the one time I've camped overnight in my life, and my buddy Tony and I were, were to be um, making some beans, and we had a can of beans with us, but he didn't bring a can opener, and I didn't bring a can opener, so what do we use? What do, what do campers do? A hatchet. It's the next best thing. Let me tell you this. Don't ever open up a can of beans with a hatchet. It doesn't work. Why? Because a hatchet's not designed to do that. Just like a fork is designed for one thing, and one thing, you have been designed and purposed with a clear mission in mind. Followers of Jesus follow and teach others to do exactly the same thing. Therefore, we begin with what? Point number one, there is the call to be a disciple. Let's start exactly where the Lord Jesus Christ started. You do realize Matthew chapter 4, verse 19 is when he walked up to these fishermen and says, follow me. 
two verses before that. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus says this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Before you follow Christ, there's what? There's a requirement. There's a responsibility. Before you follow Christ, it says what? You must first repent. That word repent literally means to turn around, to turn. It has the idea of changing directions. You're heading this way. Now you turn and you're facing the opposite direction. And it involves what? Action, movements. Why must we repent? Romans is very clear in Romans chapter 3, because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That means that every one of us is hard. Like grandma, even grandma. Every one of us have done or thought things that we should not do. We have sinned in the sight of a holy God. Thus what? Romans continues. Thus the wages of sin, or what we earn as a result of our sin, is death. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23. But, it's the reason we gather here every single Sunday. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Or you could think of it like this. Very simple, very clear. The death penalty that we should have faced was faced by someone else. Jesus. Because he was the only one that could face it for us. But in a sense, there's still a, a responsibility that we need to repent and turn toward him, to trust him. I think people have a really difficult time following Jesus today. And they will say, it's just, like, this is just really hard. Like, it's not going well. And the reason I would oftentimes propose is because they have not repented from their previous lifestyle. So they're still facing the world. They're following the things of the world and yet trying to follow. It doesn't work like that. First, you are to repent from your sins before we can follow Jesus. Let me just begin by asking you this question. Have you done that? Well, everybody wants what? Jesus' love and Jesus. Have you done that? Have you turned from the directions, the goals, the objectives, all of those things that the world tells you, and you said, I want to be like him? Then it says what? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. Part of our repentance is to turn from believing there is anything that we can do in order to save ourselves. Part of our repentance is realizing there's nothing. That's why what? As our, our go back in church history, when they began to pile on works-based salvation. It's why I'm so grateful for the reformers who got it right. 
who, who called it back to where it should be. That what? It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, that we live for the glory of God alone. There's nothing that we can do. It is all, it is only Jesus who can pay the price that needed to be paid. We see this in the Old Testament. You go back to the book of Exodus and the Hebrew people, the Jewish people were in slavery. And it was, it was dark seasons of hardship and heartache and pain and suffering. And Moses was sent by God to free his people, but we know that Pharaoh refused to let them go. And God caused several plagues, 10 of them, to afflict the Egyptians. And the last plague was the worst. The last plague that God would cause the firstborn of every single household to die. Unless what? Unless they did something. Unless there was a sense of action. There was some movement. There was a step of faith. Exodus chapter 12 is very clear on this. And it says what? You go find a lamb that is without blemish. Find the perfect lamb. Bring it into your house. After a period, it says that you're going to kill that lamb. And, and get this, you're going to take some of the blood and you're going to put it over the two doorposts. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, I want you to obey everything that I've told you. And the words are recorded in Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. It's when you follow me in full obedience, then and only then is your family going to be safe. Then and only then is your family going to be safe in actual historical events. Yeah, but... You know, it's a lot of work to, like, bring this lamb in, and I don't want it, like, stinking up the place. And then if we bring it in, you know, little one's going to become attached to the lamb, and so we can't kill that one. We're going to have to go out and find another one. No, no, you, you, you obey precisely. You obey exactly. There's only one. You realize that today when we think about the message of the gospel, there's only one that was without spot and blemish. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking toward him, he announced his ministry, what? In the very first chapter of John. John chapter 1 and verse 29. And he saw Jesus. And, and you know, in my mind, I begin to think, like, how far away was he? Like, did he just crest the hill? And, like, I, he kind of was walking like him. And I know his walk. Like, how far? Doesn't matter how far. I don't know. But when John the Baptist caught a glimpse of Jesus walking, he says, behold! There's the Lamb of God, and I love this, that takes away the sins of the world. And, and for some reason, I don't think about, maybe I'm selfish, I don't think about him taking away the sins of the entire world. I am just what? I am just shocked and amazed that that means that Jesus Christ takes away my own sins, my sins. I wonder if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
Later, it's what? Don't, don't, don't call me Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I want you to do? Have you confessed, in a sense, Lord, I'm yours, and I will follow you, and I will obey you? Have you confessed? Have you cried out? Have mercy upon me, O God. Forgive me, a sinner. You do realize that it's then and only then and now we build up to it that you're able to follow me. And what does it say? Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. And I will make you fishers of men. Now, as, as a pastor, my heart's cry. I, I am certainly not the most spiritual man in the world. But I, I go to, to bed at night and my heart's cry is for people to follow Jesus. And I, and I wake up in the morning, and I have to tell you that my heart's cry is that people will follow Jesus. Because the, the, the philosophies of this world and kind of what they're shoveling your direction is terrifying, let alone destructive and wrong. My prayer is this, if you are a follower of Jesus, that you would know exactly and precisely what God is calling you to do. And that's our responsibility as pastors and as elders to help you do that, to teach you how to do this and how to do that well. We want to remove every single hurdle. It keeps you from doing that. I tell you what, when, when we are faithful to follow the instruction that God has given to us, and we're teaching people to follow Jesus. Together, as a body, we begin to do that. And discipleship begins to happen. I tell you what, it is the most exciting. You realize that the local church of Jesus Christ is the most powerful force for good in the entire world. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed it. So I was writing this. I thought about, I thought about a time I was asked... Um, to speak to, to some minor league baseball players. And just a, a delight and privilege for me. And I was honored. Like, I get the free. And you go right into the clubhouse. You go into the dugout. And, and there was going to be a little, a little chapel service. And, and I, in the first dugout, there was like three guys that were sitting there. And that's all right. I'm going to be faithful. Present the gospel and teach them. And I'm asking, hey, why are you here? And the guy's like, you know, I just stink at baseball. And I just pray maybe God will make me better. I was like, all right, I don't know if that's exactly, but that's, we'll take it. And there was like three guys in that dugout, and they didn't even know really why they were there. There was no coach, there was no leader, they just kind of showed up. And after I spoke with them and I prayed with them, I had to go over to the other clubhouse, and I went into the other dugout. The entire dugout was filled. The entire, there was like, they were like, like, like close. The entire dugout was filled. And, and I began to, to like present the gospel. And they're like, yeah, uh-huh, we do that. That's what we do. And, and I began to ask them what we can pray about. And they had prayer requests. Could you just pray for, like, my brother doesn't know the Lord? And they began to like ask prayer requests. And I'm like, something is, like, totally different from this dugout to this dugout. And I noticed in this dugout that was totally full. At the end of uh, the dugout was the coach. And as I began to talk to the boys and encourage the boys and remind the boys of what Jesus Christ calls us to do, I just see the coach and he's just smiling and nodding. And afterwards, I went to him and I said, hey, is it something that's different here? 
He kind of he pulled me close and he says, you know what? I'm not really here for the baseball. I'm here for the discipleship. He used that exact word. And I thought, that guy gets it. Baseball's a great game, no doubt. You can do that, you can have fun. But his purpose was use any platform that he has been given and he was pouring into. He goes, do you know how long the bus rides are? And I talked the entire time about how they can follow Jesus. And, and, and he got it. That's what it looks like. You see, it's essential, what? Not only to why we do what we do, Church 101, but it's essential literally to who we are. It's who we are. Therefore, we have to ask the question. I have to ask the question, and we do this regularly as elders. Is discipleship happening? Is discipleship happening here? I, I think you can, I think it's easy. I think you can very quickly tell the health of a church, and you can very quickly tell the strength of a church by what it's pushing or what it's promoting, thus revealing its purpose. And if it's only what? There's nothing wrong with a slip and slide. But if that's all we ever do, then we got a problem. If it's only about spaghetti suppers and Cub Scouts and social awareness and social movements and stained glass, and not, they promote that apart from fellowship, opportunities to associate, to, to, to interact, to connect, to encourage one another by because times are tough. If you promote those things apart from worship, what we do here together, exalting the Lord in adoration and reverence, if, if you're promoting other things apart from what? Biblical teaching, the expounding of Scripture, strengthening believers through sound gospel, through the full counsel of Scriptures. All of those things which are essential elements to discipleship, if you're promoting other things apart from that, then what? Then you're missing it. You're missing out. Three miles. Three miles from where you sit right now. Another church I got word just this week closed its doors, locked them, took the sign off. For, for a century, it has lasted. And, and another church has closed its doors. They turn off the lights. They lock the doors. And there's no local body of believers that are gathering. A church that, that I believe historically at one time was accurate to the gospel, was preaching the gospel at one time. And what happens? Like, why does that take place? Somewhere along the line, from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next, older people began to stop teaching younger people. And that can only last for so long. And what happens if the older people aren't teaching the younger people and, and the older people die, what happens? Turn off the lights, close the doors, lock them, take the sign off, because the church doesn't exist. You, like, you realize the responsibility that we have. We're one generation. And we know that God will build his church, but there's a responsibility on our parts. Which brings us to our second point, the command to make disciples. The command. 
you know that I, 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 I love sarcasm. I love that sense of humor. I think maybe it's a Philly thing. You kind of make fun of people, and people take that the wrong way, and so I'm, I work through it. And I'm not being at all sarcastic here, but it, it kind of sounds like that. This word go is not difficult. It's, it's one syllable, two letters. It's a verb. It, it implies action. It means to move. It means to move forward. Like, like green light, my, my, my grandkids would say, Bob, Bob, it's green. It means something. Hit the gas pedal, full speed ahead, full throttle, the opposite of stop. You have to realize when Jesus concluded with this instruction, go, he intended what it to be heard and received with an understanding of what it means. It means that you can't be stagnant. You can't stand still. You can't remain like that. Go, what does that mean? Well, where am I supposed to go? It might be to your neighbor's house. It doesn't have to be far. It might be the other side of the world. But it's, it's not like up for debate here. So we don't have the liberty to just like ignore it. We certainly can't disobey it. We can't confuse it. Does go really mean go? We can't misunderstand it. It means, it means go forward, get up. It, it probably means something like this. At times you have to put the remote down in order to go. You have to put your phone down to, to like engage in conversation at some level. You have to get up off the couch. Go maybe where others have not gone. Go to those who are in need of the truth of the gospel. Go into all the world. And it implies something that is pressing here. Like it's urgent here. Something that needs to be spoken. And when you go, it says that you are to be baptizing them. In Greek, it, it's not difficult. Baptizo. And, and it literally, it means to immerse or to dunk. Many of us have witnessed this, either right here in our own, own baptistry, or a month ago today, the third Sunday, we were down at the river, and someone got baptized, and they what? They publicly declare that they are going to be obedient. They publicly identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus Christ was buried in the tomb, and then he came out, he came back to life, we want to immerse people in water, and they come back out of that, what? To walk, as it says in Romans 6, in the newness of life. You realize many early Christians took this step of faith and obedience, not only marking themselves visibly as a follower of Jesus, they're marking themselves, you realize this, as a martyr. When they were publicly baptized at some level, they're saying, go ahead and kill me. Because I know ultimately that the world hates the message of the gospel. Just as they hated me, they will hate you. Have you identified yourself with Jesus by being baptized? Have you taken that step of faith? I hope so. If not, I would ask, well, then what's holding you back? Are you trying to follow Jesus while you're still maybe trying to keep a foot in the world and follow the world? Or maybe you have taken that step of faith. Are you encouraging other people this is the next step. If you've done this, you encourage others to follow Jesus. 
And it leaves us with what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. It's interesting that word observe. In Greek, it's tereo. It means to watch, to keep an eye upon, to hold fast, to hold on to. The NIV translates it, I, I think, actually, I, I appreciate that one a little. It means to obey. Teach people to obey all things that I have commanded. And you think it kind of sounds simple and direct, but this does not require you to have a degree in theology in order to go and teach people. It does not mean that you have to be ordained or know Greek or Hebrew. It's as simple as going to people and encouraging them to follow Jesus, committing their lives to Jesus and you committing your life as a follower of Jesus to come alongside of others as well. Don't confuse it. Don't complicate it. And have the boldness of the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life. You know you're not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Imagine the confidence. Follow me as I follow Christ. Or imitate me as, as I imitate Christ. Christ. I wonder if you could say that. Or it's like, I don't want anybody looking at me. I don't want anybody. Wait, wait a minute. Then maybe you're not following. Maybe you've not repented. Maybe you've not confessed him as Lord of your life. You know, I, I also am struck with a, a couple things that this, this implies, and this is going to be hard. You, you're going you're to have to say something at some point. Um, Acts chapter 1, you will be witnesses. I'm so thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that says in Luke chapter 12, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So, so at some level, as we begin to think about, we're going to, to be followers of Jesus, we're to make disciples, we're to teach people, you're going to have to, you don't have to stand up in front of large crowds, but you're going to have to sit alongside of someone with a cup of coffee and say, this is what happens, this is what it looks like. It implies you have to say something, but God's going to tell you what you're to say when you say according to his word. Second thing is that what? We have to teach all, which means not some, which means that you can't selectively like cut out portions of scripture that don't sell well today. Like we can't do that. All means all. John chapter 8 says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You should know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Which means that we don't have the liberty to kind of redefine or pull out what is the word of God, what is truth. So when scripture teaches something like the hard truth like this, deny yourself, you're going to have to tell them to follow Jesus means you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Not only have to teach them that, you're going to actually have to model that for them. That's the hard part. We can say things quickly. We have to live lives to show people what it looks like to deny ourselves. When, when we teach people that you are the light of the world, don't hide the light. Then you're going to have to model that for people. What does it look like to be a bright, shining light? When we teach people to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who abuse you, how hard is that? We don't have the liberty to kind of remove that from Scripture. 
So we have to what? Just not teach that, but model that. When it says in Scripture that you cannot serve two masters, you cannot serve God and money, then guess what? You're going to have to model that for people. Show them what it looks like. When it says in John chapter 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Believe also in me. There are, there are troubled hearts all over the place. And, and enter what? Enter followers of Jesus. Enter people who turn the world upside down. And there should be a sense of peace and calm, even in the chaos and craziness of this world. So the people look at you and like, like, how do you, like, why are you so chill? And why do you sleep well at night? Why does it seem like you're not troubled by the things of this world? What a great opportunity. And now you model for others, this is what it looks like. All includes what? The full authority of God's word. All includes what? The plan that God has set forth. The promise of those who are called. The incarnation. The deity of Jesus. His miracles. Like they really happen. The sovereignty of God. His redemptive atonement. The finality and consummation of life here on this earth as we know it. And the fulfilling of the kingdom of God. A literal hell. You can't just remove that because it doesn't sell well. Sorry. We're to teach people to obey, to observe all the things that he has commanded. Thirdly and finally, what? Remember that discipleship happens through relationship. Discipleship happens through relationship. It means what? It's going to take time with one another. It's going to be a commitment on your part to journey alongside of others. To open yourself up in a genuine way. To literally care for. You can't just say it. You got to make yourself available. Discipleship happens through relationship. It's going to demand patience and grace towards one another. Because they're going to get it wrong just like you got it wrong. I appreciate the words of Susan Hunt. We're called to share the content of the gospel in the context of relationships that reflect God's relationship with us. If we only share the information, our discipleship will be academic. If we only share our lives, it'll be anemic. So think about what we are called to. We make a commitment to follow Jesus and we show others how to follow Jesus as well. Now, now what, what is so significant about that? And we conclude by focusing our attention where, where everything should start and everything should finish on the work of Christ. That's what the communion table is. It's a visible kind of reminder for us that as we gather together, we regularly remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Well, what has he done for us? Great question. When Jesus was gathered the very night that I just talked about when he was betrayed and accused and arrested and beat, that very night he gathered with his disciples, his followers. They were following him everywhere. And he took some bread and, and, and basically as, a, as a, a visual example, as an illustration of sorts, 
a picture of his body. He took bread and he said, see this bread here? And he broke it. He tore it up in front of them. And he said, just like this bread is broken, my body is going to be broken. A prophetic statement of exactly what happened. And Jesus' body was shredded to pieces. Later it says that he took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. And as he poured it out, he said, this is a picture of my blood. Just like this was poured out, my blood is going to be poured out. But Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. There is no forgiveness. There is no atonement. There is no hope apart from the blood of Christ. And then he passed it around, and they all took a sip. And what happens when you see something like this, and you what? You can touch it, and you feel it and you smell it, and then you taste it. All of those senses, what? We remember things like that. That's what we are told to do, to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. The reason that we make disciples is because we follow him. What did Jesus do? He, he laid down his life for our sins. He was the one who suffered the death penalty that I should have suffered, that you should have suffered. And that's why we, we don't just remember the communion table, but we celebrate and thank God for what he has done. And so as a local church, as we do regularly at Big Woods on the third Sunday, as we celebrate the communion table, and we, we invite people, if you are a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means that, what, I'm all in, okay? I'm following Jesus, then you need this reminder. And so that's why we offer it to you. And so the elders are going to come up and, and they're going to take these elements to one of the stations. And, and I'm going to encourage you, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're all in and you understand it, you're going you're to be obedient to him. You're thankful for what he's done for you. You're not going to get it perfect. Nobody's going to get it perfect. That's why I extend grace. And I would invite you to take this bread as it is served to you and this cup that is served to you and in a moment as a body as a family together as pastor aaron prayed this simple humble meal that nourishes us you would not go too long with what taking your fork out to eat a meal to sustain you spiritually this is what sustains us strengthens us by keeping a focus on the lord jesus christ if you have not made that decision this morning, if you are here, maybe a first-time visitor, and you're like, what in the world? We're talking about blood on doorposts, and we're drinking this, and what? Then, and, and you don't understand. I would respectfully ask that you refrain from this. We'll talk together. Find me. Find anyone to say, hey, what's this, what's this cup about? And they'd love to share with you the gospel of Jesus. But I would also remind you that if you recognize even at this very moment that you are a sinner, we don't have to really go too far in our life to find that out. That we know that we deserve death, but somebody stepped in to suffer on our behalf, and that one lamb without blemish, Jesus, without sin, died. And we put our faith in his work for salvation. And I want to accept that, and I confess my sin, and I want to follow, then this could be the very first day that you celebrate the communion table. And I would celebrate and invite you to do that. I'm going to ask the elders to come up at this time. Um, what I would encourage, I, I think it's important, and I, we don't have anywhere to go. We're going to hang out here afterwards. Take a few moments, just in the quietness of your own heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you.
Maybe it's just, thank you, Lord, for forgiving me a sinner. Have mercy upon me, O God. But I would, in the quietness of your own heart, prepare yourself to receive this. After a few moments, after just in quietness, I would invite you to come up. There's five different stations throughout the auditorium. Um, come up and, and take those. Go back to your seat, and then we will uh, take of that together. I'll ask the blessing on it, and we'll eat it together as family. Thank you.
Would you pray with me? Lord, we are just so grateful for this moment. In your providence, you've allowed every person that you desire to be here, to be here together, to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus. And we thank you for this reminder that has been given to us. It's, it's a gift of your grace, a picture of your body and blood, the bread and the cup. And we thank you. We are struck with our own sinfulness and, and need for you. And we thank you that you've seen us and you've loved us. And you didn't just talk about it, that you demonstrated your love for us by offering your own son. We cannot imagine the pain. And we thank you. We thank you for atonement and redemption and freedom and forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that we, we don't have to live, Lord, crushed by the weight of this world, but we live in, in peace and joy and freedom. And we ask, Lord, for help today that we would model Jesus well to others. Bless this to our bodies. Strengthen us. Renew us. Encourage us. We love you. We thank you for your love for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Paul writes this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and after he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said this, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread, every time you drink this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, and may he come Quickly, Matt, come close us with a um, hymn together. It says in Mark's gospel, before they left, they sang a hymn together. And so that's exactly what we're going to do. I invite you to do that.